Welcome to Malts and Music, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. My name is Vic Galloway, I'm a broadcaster, author, musician and lifelong music fan. I'm also a massive whiskey fan. This podcast is inspired by my own experience of pairing up 12 single cask malt whiskey flavour profiles with 12 music genres. I thought, let's do something similar, get some creative people to pair up 5 tracks with 5 delicious whiskies. We also talk about their lives, their careers, their experiences and go off on various tangents. Enjoy. Slanch. Welcome to Malts and Music, Nicola Meehan. Thank you very, very much. Esteemed broadcaster, journalist, DJ, music fan, (laughs) brilliant person, friend of mine, and I'm delighted that you're here to drink some drams and talk about some tunes. You know, it's such a pleasure. I have got an elderly uncle, Uncle John, uh, who grew up in Draplock and Stirling, but uh, became a quite a well-known architect, and he now lives in Australia. He's now in his 80s. But he comes back fairly regularly, and he stays at my mum's in Riverside in Stirling. But he makes a pilgrimage to this place every year. So I've heard about it, spoken about it in hushed tones for a very long time. This is the first time I've been inside it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, we're in the cask room uh, today. A slightly different room from some of the other podcasts we've done. But it's, uh, look at all the accoutrements. Yeah, the... I know, I know. It's all the detail, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, isn't it? It feels isn't it? proper. Great. No, it's lovely to be here. Um, I tell you what, let's just crack into our first dram. We've got five to get through. Yep, uh, when I that. say get through, as if it's a chore. <laughs> it's a slog. Uh, so we've got our taster packs here, which I always love digging into. Aren't they cute? It's just such a lovely um, idea. So you very kindly asked me to be a part of this, and I jumped at the chance. And then this arrived in the post, not this one, because my version of that is empty and was you've, very much You've enjoyed. already gone through the... Um, yeah. But I think what's so lovely is even just the packaging, the detail, it's like properly like, what's inside here? Yeah. Every part of it's lovely. And um, for I'm sure people watching know about the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, but there are flavour profiles which have different colours uh, for each one. So you've got young and sprightly, sweet, fruity and mellow, sweet and spicy, spicy and dry, deep, rich and dried fruits, old and dignified, and so on. And so with every dram that we've got, we've got a different uh, set of tasting notes and some information. So we're going to go straight in with a Speyside, and it is called Pour It Around Midnight. It is a sweet and spicy flavour profile, and um, here's a little bit of the, the uh, tasting note blurb. A rich fusion of marmalade and ripe dark fruits merged with nutmeg and demerara sugar in a juicy fruitcake, while fragrant aromas of carnations and lychee washed over burnt toffee and pipe tobacco. It's like you're quoting poetry out in the gallery. Well, I think it's going to be poetry on our tongues. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it will be anyway. Let's go. So, And go- I just love, you know, it's like this little envelope which has all the notes inside it. And it's just so beautifully put together. But I love how much care has been taken with the descriptions. But oh. they're never inaccessible. You know, every one of them you can imagine... Whether you smell it or taste it or not is another matter. That's when the fun really begins. Yes. Well, let's have a look. So this is a Speyside. It's yeah. a first fill ex Coseja wine barrique. Uh, it's aged seven years, so not the oldest. It's 59.8% uh, and a Speyside, as I say. Youthful, huh? Yes, Just quite like youthful. You. Although, you know, the, you know, I think like, like wines and so on and so on, um, I think people always expect the older the better but I don't, mm. I don't think that's necessarily the case maybe predominantly the case but not always so pour it around midnight slange yeah slange indeed dive in 
Okay, the flavor profile, spicy and sweet. Definitely a bit of spice, straight away. You can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it like at the back of your throat. You can feel it in your nose. I love that. It almost goes up to your eyes. Yeah. That's what you want. Like, you know where you are now. It's it's sweeter on the nose, and yet it's it's definitely spicy on the tongue. And at the back of the throat, as you say. It's got that properly warming. Like, you can physically feel it. Mm. You know, and I think that's why what's so lovely about this. And I do also, you know, enjoy putting a little bit of water in my whiskey as well. There's water. But I like the contrast, you know, so I always like to try it like that and you really get the hit. Yeah. Um, But it stays with you, you know. It's that idea of not rushing something. I'm bad for just drinking pints, you know this more than anybody, and I just, like, absolutely get hammered into them. Just, you know, it's just, like, constant volume. Yeah. <laughs> this is the opposite of that. Absolutely, and, and, and I think all the better for it. I mean, um, I also think... There's obviously nothing wrong. It's famous mixing whiskey and beers, you know, having a a half and a half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But um, Mm. I think if you stay purely on whiskey and water, obviously, Mm. uh, not overdoing it, but drinking your drams and having enough water without going near beer Mm. or wine or anything that you mix it with, you feel a different kind of sensation as the evening progresses. Yeah. Not just in your taste buds and your kind of sinuses and all Mm. that sort of stuff, but as you get dare I say, ever so slightly inebriated. It's a different effect, absolutely. And I think part of that is just the circumstance as well. I think that um, whatever you drink and who you drink it with has a huge impact on the way you then feel about it. And I think there is something, and it can be very different, it's never the same, but I think there is something really ritualistic about sitting down and having a dram and maybe choosing your whiskey or being surprised by someone and do you have ice in it or... The little jug and the little bit of water, or the dropper of water. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, it's absolutely. like every detail is really important. And, and I'm, I'm learning about it as well. As I go further into the flavour profiles and doing, you know, working alongside the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, yeah. I'm learning mm-hmm. about my own palate as mm-hmm. much as mm-hmm. anything else mm-hmm. uh, and finding out which of the flavour profiles I tend to go for. Ah, uh, really? And, and okay. also, yep. you know... I, what dram you'll have in the summer versus what dram you might have in the the winter and yeah. obviously spring and autumn in between but i i kind of you know it's 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 definitely i'm work i'm working out my way yeah. through the whiskey world yeah um yeah. Are, 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 you're a whiskey fan how did you first come across it was it your uncle john uh, probably not no i think um i came across it at you know, I became aware of its existence, if you like, probably as a kid. And it was something that I associated with, you know, family drinking at New Year. Yeah. A bottle of whatever was there. I guess grouse, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Or if they were being fancy, stick it in the a decanter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a brandy in one and the whiskey in the other. Um, and so I knew of the smell of it. You know, I, I could distinguish the smell of whiskey for a long time before I ever tasted it some people loved it that smell or the yeah. smell of it but also maybe the smell of it on someone else and some yeah, people like, yeah, I don't yeah. like it and some people like oh no I just I used to my granddad would have a dram and I could smell it off exactly you know. I think that's purely an association you know if you've got a nice memory of those family parties and um, and you know because I, when I think about it, back to my granddad so he um, so this would be my uncle John's dad my mum's dad mm-hmm. and he was a a builder in Stirling so he built loads of the local now sadly demolished landmarks of my youth you know the swimming pool and the ice rink wow and, oh. yeah 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 so I kind of hung about a lot of those building sites as a kid but that meant he worked very early in the morning and he worked long hours so he didn't really drink unless it was a new year right and so I, I would have a very particular association of even smelling whiskey and it would do mm-hmm. with you know them my nana and my pop kicking back a bit and having a few people round and so <laughs> it was almost I suppose 
exotic in a funny way, although it was utterly Scottish, you know, it yeah. was embedded in a certain time of year. And then by the time I became a teenager and you just kind of go through that phase of drinking anything you can get your hands on. Yeah. If it was ever whiskey, the thing then was that it was about disguising the alcohol, wasn't it? So it was about finding the best mixer yeah, right. <laughs> to, hide, to hide the flavour, which is total sacrilege now. But it's just purpose. I also think a lot of people still do that. Well yeah. into adulthood, yeah. they, don't, they don't want to taste the whiskey or the vodka or the gin. But I think as, the, as people start finding out about the Epicurean side yeah, of it, yeah, the yeah. actual taste mm, and yeah. the, the, you know, the difference, the diversity within it, you, you start start going. Actually, you know what? Hold the coke. I'm gonna. Quite. I'm just gonna yeah. taste the good stuff. I mean, I've just put a little bit of water in there now. And again, I'm not in any way. I'm not an expert. I'm not a purist. I'm very much led by the company. Yes. So, um, you know, I don't really know what the correct volume is. I just put some in there. Yeah. For me, that's absolutely perfect now. So it's still got all the richness, but it's opened it up somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I. I don't think there are any rules really. Mm. It's just like what. What does it for you yeah. um, I, I'm, I don't like the snobbery around whiskey or wine or, or anything for that no, matter it's no, no. like it's for everyone yeah, exactly. and it's up to you how you deal with it mm. however there are experts who know exactly yeah, what they're talking yeah, about yeah, and yeah. They, I bought some wine recently and I, I like wine I know a very mm. small bit about it but I asked the person in, in the kind of wine shop to give me a tour and tell me yeah. what you know I gave them roughly what I was interested in and they told me oh I think you'll like this or this is really nice or this is really good value or whatever <laughs> you know yeah. but but giving you a little bit of history and so on and I, that's nice when there's an expert but mm. Doesn't matter how much water you put in. Or... No, exactly. I think that's it. The accessibility of it's lovely. I've got a cousin, Duncan, who is uh, um, lives in Alawa and has the most incredible, extensive whiskey collection I've ever seen. So they live in this house, and he's actually had a special shelf built um, about three quarters of the way up the wall for all of his whiskey bottles. And wow. I can't even tell you the value, monetary, emotional, sentimental, you know, ancient value of some of these bottles. There's, they mean everything in many ways. But there is nothing that you can't have. You know, do you want? An, do you want something? My yeah, do you want John, an Isla? Do you right? want? A, yeah, so right, something, John, or my uncle John, if he's over, and, and they'll be like, "Oh, look at that! Oh, I couldn't have that though." No, any everything's there for enjoying in whatever way you want. Um, it's just that thing of someone being super passionate about something and wanting to share that, and that's totally the same in music as well. You know, it's yeah. not that thing. It's not a secret. You yeah. know, it's not a, it's not a secret that's just to be kept. And who's going to be impressed by that anyway? Yeah, it's like, look, do you enjoy it? Brilliant. What do you like about it? Do you want some more? Yeah, I've tried this one. Well, you and I have got to know each other over the years and bonded specifically yeah. uh, about music. And <laughs> this is Maltz and Music, so we're mm. going to go for uh, your first choice to accompany "Pour It Around Midnight." Yeah. Nina Simone, "My Baby Just Cares for Me." absolute stone cold classic oh, tell yeah. me why you went for that yeah. do you know it's funny I tend to with certain things not massively question my initial instincts or reactions to things I kind of maybe trust them for better or worse and so with this it came to me quite quickly and then afterwards I thought yeah, there's probably a few reasons why that fits beautifully but really I think this is the first one I, where I sat down and tried it was quite late it was Friday night wasn't that long ago but it was cold enough that I had the fire on yeah and it just made me think a bit of uh, jazz music there's something about savoring it there's something about losing yourself in something um, and there's some lovely lovely parts of the description in here which I just think are wonderful there's a bit where it says uh, fragrant aromas of carnations and lychee it's this bit washed over burnt toffee 
and pipe tobacco. Mm. And I suddenly had a vision of, I don't know, Nina Simone in some cabaret club in the mists of smoke. And I know, obviously, she's phenomenal in terms of her civil rights activism and, you know, in the songs that she's written, Mississippi Goddamn, and hugely, hugely powerful songs. But what a torch singer she is. Yeah. And that voice and that particular song, My Baby Just Cares For Me, because to me, it does two things. It takes me back to 1957, I think she first recorded it. Mm. So I can lose myself in a romantic notion of what that must be like. And again, this is the whiskey, if you like, taking me through all this and opening up my imagination. But that song was reissued in 1987, okay? So it's also a total song of my childhood. Um, Yeah, and even that, it ushers you in, you know? You've got that, the kind of brush drums, the piano at the start of it. That's literally, I think that's like a glass of whiskey going, come on in. It's a warm embrace. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean... um, in, with a with a maybe a slightly sharper, you know, more pungent, peatier whiskey, you yeah. might have chosen yeah. perhaps one of the angrier songs. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think that song goes absolutely perfectly with this. And the thing is, her character as well is just utterly phenomenal. You mm. know, so she is known for this utterly beautiful voice and something like feeling good, utterly rousing. But my goodness, as a character, she sounds like she was astounding. Have you read? Uh, Warren Ellis from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds his new book about Nina Simone's gum I haven't but I've seen it and I've right. seen many people talk about it as it well but is, I haven't actually had a chance to read it yet it's staggering so I, I, I it's, had it's, read it, well, it's, it's kind of enca- encapsulates the idea of utter fandom and and sort of how something small can change the world in a way is yeah that kind of... I think it is I mean it's almost Warren Ellis's own magical thinking if you like and magical view on the world and on a very practical level it's literally a bit of about a piece of chewing gum which he retrieved from a grand piano or a towel on a grand piano at Nina Simone's last of her concert in London um, and uh, he just saw it there it had been part of Nick Cave's meltdown and he crawled up on the stage and he got it in the towel and he just kept it and didn't really question it but in the book it speaks about throughout Warren Ellis's life the way in which he has collected artefacts and they have come to take on hugely powerful resonances to him and so it encapsulates that but also it totally speaks to the fact that we all have those obsessions certainly for you and I it's with music so on a on a comparative slightly comparative level I still own a lime like the fruit which mm-hmm. is now completely fossilised right. which was given to me by um, Herbie Flowers who played the bass double uh, bass on Walk on the Wild Side right yes, yep. phenomenal bass player in the back alley of the Usher Hall in 1991. Oh, wow. <laughs> I kept it all this time. It's in the loft. I've, I've got a few sort of scribbled autographs on tickets and things like that, but I, I have to admit, I probably do have some odds um, and sods yeah. buried away in boxes. And, and It's like it contains some magical essence, and I don't know if that essence is really to do with that person or if it's to do with a projection of like what they mean to you or you know the fact that you want to somehow hold the power that they have or their music has. I can't really utterly explain why I kept a line from Herbie Flowers, why a lot... I mean, it didn't go mouldy. This is an interesting thing. I can tell you about the lifespan of a line. It's literally almost like a little fossil now. It's weird. So the book partly (laughs) justified that, but it also celebrated Nina Simone, spoke about her character, spoke about her brilliance, spoke about her chewing gum. But it's also about art and creativity. And so Warren Ellis also talks about, you know, the germ of an idea and how it can be flattened or it can change the world. Yes. And in a way, 
his retrieval of this piece of chewing gum just opened up this whole world. It's been part of an exhibition. It's just it's gained in purpose and momentum. But also to me, it's about something which is bigger than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's an element of, you know, sitting down and spending time with someone and maybe having a dram and telling stories because it's always about stories, isn't it? Whiskey's mm-hmm. is about stories. Um, and so I think that really struck me as well, you know, sitting with Nina Simone in my mind, drinking this and thinking, yeah, you know, you can delve into a song or a glass or a story or you can keep someone's piece of chewing gum forever. Yeah, and it can mean it, the world. It can, it can be, it's the smallest speck of insignificance to someone else can be in an entire universe. Exactly, to you. right? That's yeah. it. And that's two people sitting having a drink by the fire or, you know, here we are or wherever. It can be anything and it can mean so much. This is profound, and we're on whiskey number one, Nicola Oh, Meehan. God help me, I better move on, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, just knock them straight back, and uh, I won't be able to remember the rest of the song. Oh, no, Nina Simone, though, right? Delicious. <laughs> I re- I'm really enjoying um, this pour it around midnight. Mm. Um, you know, spicy and sweet space side. Um, Nina Simone is playing at the moment oh, yeah, in my dreams. With the brush drums, mm. and that piano, and that voice. Mm. I thoroughly enjoyed that, and it went down a little bit too quickly. I oh, hope you'll forgive me. You're utterly um, forgiven. Don't, don't feel like you have to follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just while we're talking about, I mean, you're a massive music fan. Do you, I tend to ask the guests on this podcast about this. Do you, how do you consume music? Is it vinyl? Is it CD? Is it streaming, downloads, or, or a bit of all of it? It, well, it? It's always been a bit of whatever I had to hand, okay, yeah. so whatever that is. So that's everything from uh, growing up with my parents' vinyl collections and... Um, Good tapes. collections? Absolutely brilliant, yeah. I mean, they kind of uh, schooled me well. They, um, they, they kind of split up when I was about five, but they, they were very harmonious always in terms of like having really, really good music taste. But it was very much, it was like, you know, um, child of the late 70s and into the 80s. So it was your Bob Dylans, your Joni Mitchells, Leonard Cohens, and then Roxy Music, bit of Supertramp, Judy Collins, you know, mm-hmm. so like your absolute kind of typical singer-songwriters, classic music, if you like. But then also, um, I've got to say, that's kind of continued. So they've always been huge music fans. So mm-hmm. the other week I played Massive Attacks Unfinished Sympathy on the radio and, you know, my dad's straight away texting him like, that's a great tune. He used to run this karaoke club at Arbroath Academy where he taught. And I went up one year. I was still at school at the time. I must have been about 16. And I went up, I'm like, what's this going to be like? And my father stood there in the middle of all these, you know, all the kids from the entire school. And he sang his party piece, which was uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax. What? <laughs> a passionate uh, recounting of that particular song I have to tell Wow. You. That was not what I was absolute expecting you belter. to say. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So they both love their music, both okay. love cla- classical music as well. Um, so, yeah, lo- loads and loads of different things. So, yeah, tapes, whatever, when I could get CDs, if I could afford CDs, mm. when I could finally afford a CD player everything I saved up for and then I moved to London and I started working in the record industry at which point everything became accessible to me um, I worked for Mute uh, Records and on my first day I got taken to the warehouse and it was like just you know it's literally that idea of you know when you were a kid and they would have those competitions and it used to blow my mind that it could ever happen and you were going to be given a trolley and you could go into a toy shop and you had like a minute to fill the a trolley, right? And you yeah, could, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort right. of thing that would happen on Swap Shop or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that's what it felt like, except at Mute. That's what it felt like, except every, I don't know, Depeche Mode, Diamanda Gallus, 
Moby, but also Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., uh, Rose McDowell had been doing stuff from Strawberry Switchblade with Boyd Rice from Non. Rhythm King was part of Mute as well, so there was all the kind of Betty Booback catalogue, and yep. it was absolutely wild. That's one thing about working in the music industry, is that if, if you're obsessive about music, which yeah. you and, and I both are, uh, you are in the right place for getting promo copies and oh, exclusive yeah. access to things yeah. so if people have a sort of passing interest in music but mm. they feel that uh, you know the music industry is glamorous think again it's not glamorous <laughs> but there's lots of music in it yeah, and, and so you can real. immerse yourself in music which I've yeah. luckily been able to do for many years as, as the, have you the only thing is and I just don't know I, I, I can't understand my own head the whole time I lived in London which was I guess seven or eight years um, I was sort of going through some I don't know some sort of like non-materialistic phase so I could have taken so much vinyl from the Mute Warehouse but because it was all there and I was a bit I, I kind of didn't Yeah. Um, I, I almost I think didn't feel it was right because I liked the process of having to save up or you know yeah. get a record so I don't have anything like the stash I could have I've got mm. some absolute beauties and I've got yeah. some lovely early demo tapes and things like that but um, I still got more of a kick out of going down to the Notting Hill Tape Exchange mm-hmm. or the one in Camden and getting a I remember coming across a, a promo of Arab Straps The Clearing you know with like the pluggers sticker on it that yeah. was really exciting I've still got that and yeah yeah. I ruined a pair of speakers with that actually so. <laughs> uh, well let's move on to our next whiskey mm. and our next piece of music so what we what have we got here a fruity prescription which ah, is uh, okay. right. an excellent name for a whiskey it is indeed and uh, one of the things I, I loved about uh, even, even the title of this a fruity prescription was that lovely idea of um, you know not just claiming sort of medicinal properties or whatever it's not so much that but it is saying you know let's look at the benefits of this like how how can this be a sort of beneficial uh aspect to your day-to-day and again that absolutely chimes with me and music it's like how much can it just amplify Mm -hmm. your moods lift your mood lift your spirits but also take you back in time take you to a certain place and i was thinking about a fruity prescription and uh, i was reading again these wonderfully Mm. poetic notes this is a spicy and sweet uh, flavour profile as well. Yeah. It's a lowland whiskey. It's a first fill ex-bourbon barrel. And it's 18 years old. So much... Well, what was the last one? Seven years? Yeah, so it's 11 years older than the yeah. last one. But anyway, you were, you were yeah. about to do some of the tasting. Notes. So I... Uh, yeah, so I noticed it was 18 years old. And I started seeing descriptions like pine cones, wood saps mossy tree bark and I'm thinking about this point I'm in my teenage years I'm thinking about being 18 or thereabouts and it took me very quickly to belly and feed the tree yeah and I just love the idea that with a song like that it can just stay with you and it grows and grows and grows Mm -hmm. and in that same way you know whiskey can be like a complete and utter not just a time capsule but it can affect time travel now if we go back to that sort of time I was probably I'd have been younger when feed the tree so I've got notes here when did it first come out 93 Right, so there you so go. So I, Bell, I, uh, yeah, so Bell, is, that's pretty much, that's not far off it. It was on, because when I heard it, it takes me back to, you'd have watched the chart show, right, on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, Saturday morning, the indie chart. Yes. Belly in there. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to our price and, you know, buy whatever tape or CD I could yeah. afford. Kissingle. Kissingle, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's Tanya Donnelly mm-hmm. was uh, at the front of Belly. 
uh, of throwing muses and the breeders. Um, yeah, exactly. And like, Belly was her, her project, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and they just fairly recently reformed again. I think it was um, about five, four or five years ago. Yeah, 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 not that long ago. And I mean, she's still really prolific. She's, she records, she's actually records quite a few songs by Nina Simone as well. Everything's connected, wow. right? That's the other I thing. I did not I know that. that. Right? And that's not intentional. That's just the way, that's just the way things go. It's like whiskey is one thing and it's also like millions of different things. Well. And let so me let me have right? a, a nose of this. I'll do some of the the, uh, the flavour profile notes. The initial nose was ridden with creamy vanilla custard and ripe yellow fruits. Lots of plums, mushy banana, sultanas, fresh parsley and citrus curds. Some pineapple chunks duked in fizzy sherbet. <laughs> and, they, and they go on. But they, do you know what? This is... Um, Considering how old it is, I mean, it's mm. it's a very sweet nose. I mean, all of those. I think that's it. it the sweetness in this is lovely, but it's not cloying. No, right, and that's what I love about it as well. It's refreshing. That's why it, it, it you know it takes me back to my you know ah my halcyon youth. You know, yeah. there's something lovely about it, and it's that sort of is there even is there an innocence to it in some way, you know, or an optimism to it in some way, which is really lovely. But also the kind of spicy and sweet aspect of this uh, and Tanya Donnelly, not necessarily directly related to, but it's very much like the whole Riot Girl thing, isn't it? It's that complete kind of clash of the two things that are maybe well, she, she, slightly you could, contrasting. You could maybe describe Tanya Donnelly as spicy and sweet mm. herself, you know. She's definitely spicy and I'm sure she's very sweet. And you, also, and not, not who wouldn't want to be? I mean, you absolutely need an edge, right? You absolutely need the attitude to make it, to even make yourself heard, especially then. It's a hugely patriarchal. I'm thinking about their coverage in NME, Melody Maker, Sounds at the time. It's awful when you look back at how sexist. A lot of it was, not all of it. Yeah. Um, but also, it's the fact that in, in this as well, you know, things that n- don't necessarily, or might might jar, work beautifully. <laughs> this bit caught my attention, because again, it takes me back to, to school. Sherry, uh, cherry throat sweets and bongella. You know, yeah. just like, what's in the cupboard? Yeah. Have you got any cough medicine? Actually, now, now that you mention that, bongella, <laughs> I'm getting a, a slight twang of bongella. Is that slight, it's not even the aniseed part of it, or not directly. Mm. That's what I love as well. You know, as you go on and you're talking, maybe it's to do with it mixing a little bit with the air. I guess your nose gets used to it in a different way. Something changes. And so every taste is consistent but different. Like if I have a little sip of this, I noticed this when I was having it and ruminating on belly, being wonderful and feed the tree. When I breathe out, I could actually almost taste the, taste the kind of tree aspects, the mm. piney aspects of, of mm-hmm. it a little bit more. I mean, obviously... I'm getting slightly more of the pininess right. with a bit of water added ah, to it okay. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah. think it does. You know, it opens it opens things out. But I do think as well, reading these, um, I would say particularly with this one and, and thinking about Belly and that that sort of you know early to mid '90s era of. Um, of music, which was very much when I would have been trying to hide the taste of whiskey with yeah. iron brew, it would have been okay. So oh, right, was, okay. Yeah, which works really well, actually. But um, mm. you know, I don't want to hide the taste of iron brew or whiskey anymore. But that was, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was the, the closest I could find. Um, but there's something about reading these because I read them before I had the whiskey, right? Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Like, Quite a good idea as, sometimes. At the same time as, but also I would do that. And, and, and literally, as I was doing it, I thought, this is a bit like what it felt like. Growing up in Stirling, okay, reading, and I read them from cover to cover. I had an old, older brother, older stepbrother, who um, 
who always had all the inkies. Okay, so, so I'm still in NME, Smash Melody Maker and, and Sounds. sounds right? And if you could, if someone else could get it as well, Record Mirror. Record and, Mirror, yeah. exactly. Every one of them was in, and it was they were all up at my dad's. That's where he stayed. So whenever I went up, there were always the new issues. And then eventually he um, left home because he was a good bit older than me. And then I just, I got my own. That was it. That's what I got. And I would just sit at the back of class. And I would read read them from cover to cover me too and I, I loved the descriptions but mainly I was reading descriptions of bands that I had no way of hearing ever okay? this is the difference with the internet now if people are listening or watching this podcast and they're going oh Nina Simone oh Belly uh, I, they can go to yeah. the uh, playlist which we're putting together of all the guests on Maltz and Music we put their five choices back to back so you can listen to everything that's been covered on this podcast but you can also listen to anything that's ever been recorded yeah, pretty much exactly. whereas I was exactly the same I'd see these f- exotically named bands and go these sound great or they sound <laughs> ridiculous or whatever yeah uh, where, how do I find them how, where, I mean obviously record shops but even I'd then I'd make my mind up you know I'd already know who I you know, I, I would, I'd be like, no, nah, I definitely think I like, for example, Mazzy Star, actually, okay, which is, a, that's a really tame example. Um, yeah, I reckoned I like Ned's Atomic Dustbin. I had no idea. I mean, that was a good name, right? They had a good logo, which I drew everywhere before I'd ever heard anything of Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Mm-hmm. Um, so at any, at any point, and the other thing was, I couldn't even go into Sterling and... Um, buy this music because they didn't have it in our price yeah occasionally when I was a bit older and I could start to go to gigs any any name I even remotely recognised I'd be through mainly in Glasgow but Edinburgh there's a good shop in Sterling yeah. now though isn't Europa there Europa is yeah. absolutely wonderful yeah yeah you, you need to come through and spend well we need to spend at least one Sp- day yeah spend right? spend the inheritance Huge on uh, vinyl. records in it's Europa it's like a separate room through the back of vinyl and you know it's a bit like this in that I think there's something to be said for sort of committing to doing something in the nicest sense so like actively setting aside some time and going this is what we're going to do right we're just going to sit and maybe drink a couple of whiskeys and tell some stories or we're just going to ransack you know the boxes at Europa and be open to what is on offer and it's everything by the way it's like every genre it's every era but you never know exactly what you're going to get and it's never going to be the same on two mm-hmm. days um, and also I think with vinyl collecting now as well it's become a little fish, fetishistic for some people but mm. I think ultimately real music fans who like the sound and, and mm-hmm. feel and look of vinyl they want to collect and have a nice vinyl collection yeah. um, and just as someone will spend a lot of money on an expense nice bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. uh, or an unusual bottle of whiskey people will also spend I, I bought a, a reggae record by Sister Nancy yeah. her, oh, her yeah. album 1-2 oh. I've, I've been looking for that for years and someone on Facebook actually sort of went oh I'm getting rid of some records and, and put a list up and I went oh, he's got the Sister Nancy record yeah. Yeah. and I, I yeah. paid more than I probably should have done for no, it I have a I, I'm, I'm not great at that either like I'm not great at, because once I get it into my head um, I want it becomes that quite, that's it, it does come quite become quite of a, a, a sort of like a, an obsession that I kind of have to get it so speaking of Tanya Donnelly and speaking of therefore the Breeders and speaking of the Breeders album Pod mm-hmm. which of course was recorded Recording, here in Edinburgh yeah right? that's right Palladium um, Studios Palladium yeah 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 um and they, all, they all stayed in. They all stayed in uh, Grangemouth. A lot of them stayed in Grangemouth when they were there. Yeah, yeah, because there's a Cocteau Twins uh, connection, connection because of so, 4AD. Yeah. The label. yeah, exactly. Right. So there were also, or a lot of them were shipped to and fro Grangemouth. Recorded pod. Anyway, I think it was earlier this year. 
the breeders reissued pod. Now, I have pod on all formats. Yes. Um, <laughs> however, they announced that they were doing a limited edition reissue on um, a particularly lovely shade of pink vinyl, and it was a nice 180, um, you know, pressing. pressing. Right. And um, I, I noticed about it too late. Now, so it was a fairly decently priced album 20 three quid or whatever um but i got it into my head that i really needed to get it even though and then you start looking on <laughs> auction sites and all the rest of it i can't go into the details actually it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad but it was a lot over the asking price but i just i kind of had to have it so even on that very basic level and that's not the extreme end of the i try I, look, i'm divorced. so glad you're saying okay, this so. because i try not to go into this world too much because if, if, if i start bidding on records no, my life will be over no i i can really fall down that you know I was going to say rabbit hole, but it's more like a bottomless pit yeah. uh, very, very quickly. Uh, yeah, a, a never-ending <laughs> black hole. Um, and there you go. So, yeah, Tanya Donnelly, via, via her various uh, musical permutations and their offspins are still sending me... It's, uh, Feed the know. Tree by Belly is is spicy and sweet. It's a great tune. Um, it's and a actually, great tune. because you chose it for this whiskey, I mm. had a listen to it, which I hadn't listened to it for years, actually. Yeah, yeah. And remembered, it, it took me back to that time mm. as well. We did a special on kind of grunge and Nirvana yeah, and 30 yeah. Years of Nevermind mm. for the BBC uh, fairly recently. And we were talking about, you know, wearing your, your DMs oh, and your exactly. kind of oversized. Look, look <laughs> I, I am grunge. I purposely didn't wear my docks today because I slip on the way down the Royal Mile on my way to the ton. It's, even when it's not icy, it's like really greasy. So these are my safety boots or mm. else, yeah, I'd be sat here in my docks and you'd be in your look, tartan I, shirt. <laughs> I, I might be older, greyer and flabbier, but uh, I'm, look, I've got my plaid shirt You're on. You're rocking it. You're absolutely rocking, rocking it. it. It's, you know, but I, it, it took me back to that time. Yeah, and, it's timeless. Um, it's yeah. Ti- that, and I think again, you know, not to sort of labour the point, but I think there's so much about that. There are lots of things which you can say that about. It could be a book that you open. It doesn't even need to be the entire book. A line, the feeling it can give you from a completely different part of your life is so, so powerful, or a bit of chewing gum, or yeah. a whiskey, or a single, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, they keep acquiring new sort of magical properties as time go, goes on. It's well, not like it's a finite thing. Right? I, I mean, going through, like, I left school in 1990, so the mm. 90s were absolutely fascinating and just a rush of blood to the head you know yeah. in, in every way shape or form it was I saw so many incredible bands including Belly actually yeah. uh, but but you're, you're living through it you're not thinking this is a halcyon no. age no. you look at the, the 50s and the 60s or the 70s and go oh those are the days um, I think I think you know there was so much great music in every era and every decade but now looking back at the, the 90s 30 years later I'm kind of going Whoa. It breaks my heart even to think about the Casrock. Okay, even just to think Which I played we many took times. that place for granted. I saw you there, right? <laughs> um, amongst other places, we took that place for granted, right? Because you just do, right? Because what else are you going to do? That's that's all. That's all you know. And I, I mean, it's not that there are, there were loads of amazing venues, but there's something about a place which just utterly encapsulated a point in time. And they did actually play loads of amazing uh, female kind of punk and indie bands at that point as well. So I think probably I saw bands like Long Leg and Pink Cross and mm-hmm. uh, Gilded Lil probably like a lot of them through in Edinburgh, even though mainly they were maybe coming through from, from Glasgow. It just seemed you just went in there and something was happening. A few pints at the Tap of Lauriston. Yeah, you know, Game of Pool at the Kaz. Right, okay. So if something like that becomes like a, you know, it's like you're, it's just like a gateway back to a point in time. 
And it's not always to wallow in nostalgia, but I don't think at the same time there's anything wrong with sitting and going, that was great fun. And those were great chips. I don't. And they still are. I think I took it for granted at the yeah. time. I just thought, you know, and I, I listened back to a, a massive cross-section. It's, it's, you know, if you look at the 80s or the 70s, you see the huge cross-section of different genres that yeah. were happening. Yeah, yeah. And the 90s was that, well, in a way, the sort of Lollapalooza generation of It was, of it was. The alternative pop. became the mainstream, right? But yeah. slowly... But there was loads underground stuff. But you know, it was hip hop, mm. indie pop, metal, punk, ska, reggae, yeah. you know, everything, electronica, mm-hmm. all coming together. Yeah. Um, and you maybe had your tribe, but you also dipped your toe into all the other tribes, I think. I certainly did. Totally, anyway. but even if you think about a club at the time, like the Mission, right? So, okay, go in, go in the Mission, and was it three or four floors they had, right? So within the one night, you'd pay your whatever, two quid. I think I saw you there as well, by the way. Oh, you definitely would have seen me there. Right? I got a free <laughs> tape that night. Anyway, um, so you'd go to the mission and I can't even remember quite the the, the way it was but I think the, the top floor as I recall you went in and it was like industrial music right so it's just like wall to wall um, Eister's end and I about in or maybe for something commercial Nine Inch Nails you yeah know, front 242 so you'd start that bottles and Yuki Brown were about I don't know 20 pence or something like that. <laughs> yeah. they were probably a pound then you'd go down and there was a floor which was kind of like the, <laughs> the just the indie floor okay so whatever was happening at that point so Belly would have absolutely you know that had been blaring out or any of the the sort of indie into had gone by really by the time of Britpop had moved to London but you know all that sort of a thing all the kind of indie hits stuff that you'd hear on the the chart show on your Saturday morning brilliant <laughs> then down in the basement it was brilliant it was like absolutely full-on fluorescent hardcore rave music yeah so yeah you could go to pure which I adored but there was this weird like, encapsulation of all the sort of, or a lot of the subcultures. There was it was missing a reggae floor, I suppose. You know, <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. The hip because hip hop was very much part of the kind of indie thing at that point. Because mm. you had your kind of Cypress Hills and yeah. Um, so you didn't have that. You didn't have the the distinction so much. Well, the early nineties. I remember in terms of hip hop. I remember uh, you know people made a big fuss about Jay Z headlining um, Glastonbury. Yeah. I saw Public Enemy headline Reading. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty, forty thousand people all jumping up and down. And I mean, I've got nothing against Jay Z. In fact, I think mm. he's brilliant. I love loads of his records. But Public Enemy, oh, come totally. on, totally. And the other trailblazers. Thing is, and but also not just trailblazers. They totally know without patronising how to play the crowd. Did you see the last time they played the ABC? And you know. Chucked his there in his kilt. Not oh, being yeah. cheesy, but just absolutely owning it. You know, going, yeah. right, here I am. So it's just that thing of always being... Like, they're such a powerful and such an important band in terms of the voice they gave, the activism, but also totally brilliant showmen as well. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and obviously, you know, black culture, American, UK, European, African... Everyone was into Public Enemy, but it crossed over to a rock-loving, indie-loving yeah. white audience yeah. as well. Yeah, and exactly. it was—I mean—that's what music does, though, doesn't mm. it? it? It sort of it has cr- to. brings people together. It totally bloody has to because yeah. loads of things don't, right? Yeah. Everything else is polarizing people. So yeah. it's like, can we just all shut up and get back in the dance floor? Yeah. We can't at the moment. That's a bloody problem. Here, here, Nicola, <laughs> me, and, that, and dance is off. That yeah. is going to resolve everything. So right. um, we're two whiskeys down. I think uh, I don't know <laughs> and how, I'm how you get on. You to a dance off. No, yeah, that's I'm great. done. I'm done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, good. Right. Good. You well, see... I'm going to say I'm, I'm like, saving myself sips for my um, my train home. Just a little sips because oh. I'm going to listen to my songs. Oh, are you? Right. right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm see. I'm doing. I'm right. doing. I'm going you're in doing full the full, here. You're doing the full thing. Uh, the but thing that, is that's as well. Fine. It's not a competition. I've got to say these. Um, 
Also, you know, let's, let's not make any bones. Oh, which one are we on? Are we on Midsummer Night's Dream? Yes, Mid- Midsummer Night's Dream is the next dram. I'm going to do a little bit of sound design here. Listen to that glass that filling up there pro. with beautiful wow. nectar. Pro. But I should say... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Right, this guy is a pro, and I'm going to say briefly, Vic Galloway, can we just talk a little bit about the colour? This is... If, if the last two were, you know, kind of almost lemony mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of citrusy in colour, this mm-hmm. is a thick, treacly... It is utterly... Beautiful. It's gorgeous. I mean, without being shallow, aesthetically, whiskey is a beautiful drink. Okay, it just is. It just looks gorgeous. It promises warmth and it totally delivers. And you mentioned a decanter. Now, you know, the wrong decanter (laughs) can look a bit cheesy. But when you see a decanter full of really nice whiskey, it's just so tempting, isn't it? Yeah, and also you just don't know when you're at the bottom of the bottle, right? So it's just like, you just keep pouring it. Um, So this is part of the deep, rich and dried fruits flavour profile it is Midsummer Night's Dream mm. uh, it's a Speyside uh, the cask is first fill ex Oloroso hogshead it's aged 12 years and it is 63.3% <laughs> goodness me right so wow. uh, a few of the flavour notes the uh, profile notes um, this was dark mysterious and outright scary banana sum- uh, mummified in a sarcophagus wrapped in linen with the ritual of embalming papyrus with figs, dates and cloves as grave goods. That's brilliant. I love the way they write these. Me too, me too. This one in particular, it's utterly magical and that absolutely rings true with the flavour as well. I mean, you even have a sip of that. You smell it. You think you know where you are with it, right? And it's so rich. It's really treacly. It's got a treacle nose. I mean, it's, it's got a treacle not, nose. It's weirdly not heavy. I mean, I'll sometimes find myself, and not so much now, but, you know, during the years when I was trying to mask the f- flavour of whiskey, I'd sometimes take a smell and I'd be like, oh, you know, like, mm. oh, it's too... Whereas this is... It's 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 it's, so it's, it's got a sweetness, deep. but a saltiness as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that, that, you know, perfect sort of treacle, you know... Uh, molasses, that kind of. But it's it, but there's a real kind of smoothness to it as well. Yeah, I'm going in. It's I'm going n- in. there's no there's no direct edge, even though it's supposedly um outright scary, which I think it probably is. Mm. Oh, right. It's it's funny because I enjoy all of the flavour profiles, but I found when I'm in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society as a mere punter, just mm. having a few drams, yeah. maybe having a bite to eat, yeah. enjoying mm. the fire, enjoying a, a comfy leather armchair, and and then I decide to buy a bottle. I'm finding myself moving increasingly towards the deep, rich and dried fruits yeah. profile. It's yeah. I don't know, it's, it, it's, I think, because of this kind of dram. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of rich, smooth, sweet, but salty. It is. It is figs. It is dates. It's and that. you just cannot rush it. No, right? You can't. Although it's I probably physically. will. <laughs> Speaking as a pint drinker, right? Yeah. You just can't. It's like it, it makes you in a way. And I think this is another thing about I, I think about whiskey drinking. And as I say, I speak very much as someone who um, I've actually on a couple of occasions consciously 
<laughs> not delve too much into whiskey. Um, basically, with the rationalisation that you know, I know enough drinks already. I don't yeah. really need another vice, shall we say, um, or another obsession. Given we've already, talked I was going to say, if you're going to spend hundreds of pounds on records, you can easily do that on whiskey. But there is something about sitting here in a way that I wouldn't sit here with you. And um, like, I don't really drink spirits other than if we're doing something like this. Um, I, I did. I've been through them all, uh, yeah. including absinthe, and that only happened once. I've never tried absinthe. The Portuguese police were involved, and that was the end. Okay, of great. Is that, is, <laughs> is that a story you can tell on camera? It's not even. It was just. It's just a. You know the invincibility cloak that alcohol can give you. Uh-huh. So absinthe, I learned, uh, gives you that, but also it does have. It doesn't have hallucinogenic properties, but it heightens that sort of invincibility cloak. So. Um, I, uh, I I climbed a scaffolding singing Shakira's whatever whenever and then it stole a moped. Standard, nothing wrong so, with that. And I was on tour with Moby and various people at the time who all, of course, um, didn't discourage me, which didn't help. Right. right. Well, that brings so. us beautifully, uh, <laughs> you know, towards our next song, which accompanies yeah. this particular mm. dram. So, Midsummer Night's Dream, and you've gone for Goldfrap Utopia. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier on that you worked for Mute. Mm. This was released on Mute. Um, first and foremost, let's talk about the song because it's a, a work of art. Isn't this song. it? Isn't it an utterly beautiful song? So. I've been working at Mute for a little while. Don't ask me, I don't have a great deal of concept of time in my 20s, but I've been there for some time. And we were working on various albums, everything from a fad gadget box set to um, Moby's Play album, which was like at number one in the charts at the time and was, you know, was, was just an absolutely massive deal. It hadn't been selling very well and then it sold great and it, was just, it just went from there and it was crazy. Um, but there were loads and loads of other albums on the way so there might be uh, there was a new Erasure album we worked on Depeche Mode brought out a new record Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds this is all at the same time this is all just like my day to day which is madness it's lovely Um, but there was a a woman in who was at that point recording an album and uh, with a couple of the guys from Add N2X Mm-hmm. who were a sort of industrial electro... I love them, yeah, yeah. I've got a few of their records. Did you ever get sent the Add N2X first aid kit? So they had this album called First know. Aid Kit. So I mean, I was in charge of all the merchandise, amongst many other things. So they had this uh, new album. This is Add N2X called Add Insult to Injury. I remember that, right? yeah. Do you remember the, do you remember the um, video for it, which was... I think Johnny Trunk directed it, but it was mm-hmm. basically a soft... Or porn. Oh no, I didn't. And I they don't had, remember that. They, they, they built something for it. Can, can I can I swear? Can, um, should I not swear? Let's give a swear warning. There's about to be some swearing. We apologise. Turn off your podcast now if you're offended by these things. They Go built a it. fucking machine, <gasps> right? And we sat in a, a boardroom, and it was basically a, a sort of giant pink dildo on a piston, which was part of the video. Right. And so, um, and there was a lazy Susan in the middle of the boardroom table. So we were all sat there having this conversation about marketing this album while the sort of piston kind of, and then it just hung about in the office. You know how things do. Everybody. Oh yeah, that's interest. the end. And then oh, that's that machine. machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but as part of it, they were like, so add insult to injury, and so we put together these first aid kits, which were full of sex toys and. Um, you know, oh, you know what? I, I do love like a, a ridiculous promo item. Right, exactly. But I didn't get sent one of those. Well, there's a few in the loft. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Next to the chewing gum and the, and the, the desiccated <laughs> lime. Herbie Flowers lime and Peter Gabriel's teaspoon. That was another one, by oh, the way. Oh, wow. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, so they'd been in with that and then Alison Goldfrapp was, uh, was in recording 
uh, our debut album. Felt and Mountain. So, yeah, right. So, um, Which I think sounds better now than it did at the time, weirdly enough. I think it's aged so beautifully, that record. It was weirdly prescient, I think, in a lot of ways, that yeah. album, strangely. And Will Gregory, who was with Alison, I mean, he's just like the most incredible composer, but her voice was just utterly beautiful. But, but we didn't hear anything for a long time. She was upstairs uh, in the studio, and she'd just come down, and, oh, who's that girl? What's she doing? All the rest of it. And then we heard, the first song was Lovely Head, which was the first single, which was mm-hmm. glorious. Mm-hmm. But Utopia was... I mean, it felt like something you'd been hearing for your whole life, and it, also like nothing you'd heard. It's before. like sort of John Barry and Ennio Morricone. It's got that cinematic mass, specifically John Barry. I mm, think mm-hmm. it's got those kind of chord changes, which I am utterly addicted to. You know, it's just sweeping, grandiose, and yet melodically rich and and kind of intimate as well. Yeah, yeah. And this song's it's kind of about eugenics and fear of of kind of totalitarian fascism and I think there were always like so many different layers in terms of what something was or wasn't and um what the, where they were going for with it. But the other thing was about utopia and this particular one which is Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, there was actually an aspect of not asking exactly what it is, if you like, or what it's about. It's like almost it's a sense of something. Um, so you kind of get a vague idea of it being in a place in time and there's magic involved and there's a bit of weirdness and there's a lot of uncertainty and there may or may not be hallucination and you just go with it. And I think there's something about the potency of this particular hmm. whiskey that's a bit like that. You know, there's there's bits in it where, uh, you know, Alison Goldfrapp talks about being I'm wired to the world. That's how I know everything, and I think we get. I get a bit like that after a certain number of drinks. I go, you know, I have this like lucidity. Yes, know? I just, I, I just get it. I might be <laughs> a bit like that by the end of this podcast. To be honest, there, there is something epic and grandiose and kind of sweeping about this, uh, this tram as well. It's, it's, it's rich. It's, you know, it's utterly unmistakable as well. And I think yeah. that's the other thing. Okay, they were, they came out of nowhere, and you're right, they were completely unlike anything else this cinematic operatic you know widescreen cabaret that they brought to the table in 2001 was well they were up for the mercury award the same year as pg harvey won it for stories Mm. from the city stories from the sea and it was one of our goals because we when we when we literally started there wasn't even a logo like we started with this logo gold frap which we plastered around uh, lampposts all over london you know to try and get the the name into people's heads because we thought it was a slightly odd name yeah um and it went brilliantly but the 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 first time they ever played live was at the raymond review bar in london which was a a beautiful plush uh, i've been there a few times gentleman's bar yeah and (laughs) for for uh, record promotional uh, like uh, young bands not not for the the other stuff they do there and i drank whiskey that night and i drank whiskey that night because it felt really classy there Mm. So even then, oh, I had so some this sort of an great, association. So you're hearing right? this song live for the first time and yeah, drinking it was a, it was a, a It was a Lagavulin I had, and the Lagavulin, because oh. that was my dad's favourite at the time, right? I'm very much, like, I associate it with people. John, mm-hmm. my husband, likes a Talisker. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot of whiskey that's about that. I do think there's a lot that's about association and closeness to people mm-hmm. uh, and what you're, you know, how that feels. Even going back to, as you say, being a kid and then liking the smell of whiskey on someone's breath, which mm-hmm. would be appalling. Yeah. It'd be quite comforting. So yes. yeah, Utopia's playing, and I do remember because I was like, there were bunny girls selling cigarettes because it was you could do that. And Alison Goldfrapp sang this stunning version of Utopia, and I remember going, I don't feel it very often, like ever, even now. But I remember thinking, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I kind of feel like I could feel classy tonight, and I think it's because I've got like a whiskey. 
mm. and not like two pints. <laughs> mm. I mean, this is quite right. different from a Lagavulin, but I am. I, I think it could give you a sense of class if you were standing there in Raymond's Review cool, Bar. You know? or, yeah, uh, I, ju- I just felt so. It was like a statement to order a whiskey. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. a proper, not just a whiskey, a, a name. You know? It's it's funny. I I hope. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and you know lots of single malts throughout the world and distilleries and so on are dispelling that myth of whiskeys are kind of hard man's drink. Yeah, because nowadays, totally. if I go into a bar and that's yeah. pretty much what I drink, I might have a beer or a glass of wine every now and uh-huh. again. But I more often than not go for a whiskey now. Do you? And people sort of some people get taken aback. Oh, whiskey at this time of night, you yeah. know. And it's just like well. It's and then most people are not like that, but you do occasionally get someone going. Wow, it's still a it's it's you know it's it has a kind of I don't know it has a sort of attitude that That's accompanies funny. it somehow. Yeah. No, no, I always I always if I ordered it, it was sort of like as a badge of and not particularly a not particularly a patriotic thing, but I did think it gave me you know which God Certainly. knows I need. A, a little bit of class. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, this is a classy whiskey. If people are yeah, looking for this I'm going one, to, I'm going to be yeah, I'm going to be consistent and put a bit of water dream. in it as well. And also, just that idea the whole, the whole the whole theatrical aspect of that as well. Okay, the whole visual element of it. And again, looking at the whiskey or someone like Goldfrapp's music, particularly that wild, wild, wonderful song, um, or of course, you know, the Shakespeare reference and just the the uncertainty. There's a weird uncertainty about midsummer and is it dark and is it light and you know what season is it and and i think that's a nice thing as well it's like it's quite nice to just sometimes surrender yourself and go i don't know exactly what's going on but i kind of love it i'm gonna and that's utopia all over right that's gofrap yeah i'm gonna add some water to it yeah and the thing is it keeps its rich color right so this is the most outstanding whiskey that we've had today and that's not to say that the last two were were bad in any way they were absolutely delicious it's not it's not completely stands its ground though doesn't it and i think the other thing is i'm someone who you know i would love to be someone who if you put me in a bar and did a sort of pepsi challenge you went what's that now i can't do that like john john and my dad my husband and my dad so they'll uh, right now they'll be they do uh you know on a friday night and it's a friday night that's what they do they have their beer and their whiskey and my dad's got a brilliant name because john loves all sorts of very 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 lovely um lovely whiskies although he would usually go back to a jura or a, or mm. a talisker or as i say Vagavul and just again for traditional reasons has been my favorite but my dad's always is like what are we having this week john and then he'll have it and he'll go oh that's definitely my favourite. It's quite esoteric, this whole podcast and this whole idea of matching five whiskies with five tunes. It could be these five which you've chosen. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow you could drink these whiskies or totally. the day after and pair them with another five or another five tunes. We all know that. It's a bit of fun and it's nice finding the connections. And yeah. I totally see how Goldfrap could There's go just, with It's with that this. other, slightly otherworldly and also utterly miraculous thing which is something being conjured okay whether that's whiskey out of like raw ingredients or a song in general out of nothing but a song like Utopia in you know like the turn of the millennium yeah it's, it's, it was it's like it's like strange lyrical content but beautifully <laughs> yeah. done as well um, yeah, yeah and no, this I, voice I loved it. I'm going to have a little sip of water to cleanse the old palate. She, um, 
at that, at that Raymond Review bar uh, gig, she came under a bit of criticism in the reviews uh, for being too perfect, you know, for her singing being too like the album. And it was just such a weird... So again, it's a bit like you're just always going to be wrong-footed. You never really know, right? It was an amazing gig. She, she always comes across, no matter what album they put out, no matter what press shot, no matter what stage performance she does, as a total stickler for oh, yeah. intimate details you want it perfect yeah yeah I worked with her a lot on um, some early t-shirt designs and I learned that firsthand. yeah and it, that's and she, she's absolutely brilliant she was very cute in fact I'll tell you what else I've got in my stash <laughs> I've got a packet of sugar that Alison uh, Goldfrapp once brought me back from Portugal wow with my name on it with your name on just it just Nicola but yeah Right, okay. That is my name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I keep these things. I feel like they do have some sort of a... I'm like a hoarder. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> uh, I don't think I am, but my girlfriend says I am. I honestly... And you know the irony? My husband, who is an archaeologist, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, would you would think he would absolutely see the value. And he, who really knows the story of something? Yes, so a long yeah, time right. Other, he would honestly have our house completely and utterly... Empty floored. and minimal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, we do not need that entire... I'm trying to do that with stuff, but it's it's no. it's I just impossible. I'm like no, no, no. Just put it especially somewhere. with music. It's put away, right? Yeah, yeah. Never, no. Right. Let's move on to dram number four. <laughs> um, like like a lot of these podcasts, in fact, like I think all of them, they've uh, <laughs> they've ended up being a little bit longer than we expected. Yes, but that's no, what happens apologies, when you have exactly. five five whiskeys. No, don't, no, it's not you. It's um, it's it's just it's the, the whiskey, nature of the beach right? beast. Yeah. Uh, let, so we're moving on to dram mm. number four, which is. Coconut. Now I'm just going to have a coconut. Now, is what it's been called. What I, what I particularly love about this moment is having spent time it's with these whiskies the in this order, and I love that you just said for that one, Vic. Um, oh, you know that's really quite quite different. You know, there's a real contrast. I think in terms of you know a real because it's a variation on a theme. There's a lot more depth and. But I think coconut. Now, I don't know about you, but I just always think of Malibu. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, a lot of love in my heart for Malibu. Yeah. Um, and then I was introduced to a proper rum by a guy I think you know as well, a London friend of mine who launched that lovely venue, the Lumiere in um, Kilburn. Andy Ingalls. I know him very right. well. So Andy and I were big drinking pals in uh, London and um, he was a rum man we'd go to gigs and I'd just be getting my usual pints and he would have his own hip flask of really really fancy Coco Canoe that's what it's oh, called oh yes right? yeah I've had that okay yeah and it is beautiful so when I saw this I thought hmm I'm going to have to be wary here because I'm expecting Coco Canoe yeah now where are we on the old uh yeah, so so this is a lowland whiskey. Uh-huh. It's uh, a second fill HTMC Hogshead cask. It's fifteen <laughs> years old, and it is sixty one point six percent. Are uh, they all? Are whiskies more? Are, are whiskies higher in volume than I had realised? Like, are they stronger? Because I always think of spirits roughly. Well, being because 40-ish. these are single cask, I think they're slightly stronger than a lot of uh, of kind of even single malts that are on the market. So yeah. these are. Um, the you know the whiskies that you might get whether they be blends or even single malts mm. are, are often derived from the single cask versions. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting the absolute straight from the source. But you perfect really, whiskey. 
Which is why everyone should be a member and, and enjoy, because you can, you can either yeah. buy these, these whiskies online or come and enjoy them here. No, genuinely, because yeah. it's wild. But the thing is, there's something about them. I, I don't know what it is. It's not that they're in any way repellent. Not at all. But you just, you don't want to drink them too fast. You're not going to get yourself into a position where you're like, oops, I just necked that, you know, I just necked 62 that 62%, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even, even by my standards. There's something that, it's like the whiskey asks you to just... Let it breathe and take your time. I know. Uh, this podcast is maybe not the way to do that. Mind you, <laughs> I think you're being slightly more sensible than I am. But I've got my train journey. I've got, I've, I've got my chops up, you see. I've got, I'm, I'm match fit <laughs> You're now. getting ready for the dance-off, right? Yeah, remember, yeah. That's, how my, that's, my, um, that's my idea for world peace, which I think is a very good one. So this is uh, the juicy oak and vanilla flavour profile. And here mm-hmm. are just a few of the notes on the, uh, the card here. Nosing neat three C's came to mind. Caribbean, Calypso, and coconut. Desiccated, toasted, ice cream, and suntan lotion. Chewy heat on the palate, neat. Have you ever had grilled black pepper banana on sugar rum toast? And it goes on. I love all these. They're so good, Me aren't too. They? I absolutely love them. I, I, I love the, your journalism. I love your writing as well because you shoot from the hip as a journalist and oh, you, you're, 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 you, you love language. And I could, yeah. under, I could imagine you enjoying those. Yeah, like, I do. I love going. it. I, have, I, have, I hardly write at all at the moment. And I haven't for a while, long time. And I think maybe... Um, but I always enjoy your writing. Thank like you. you're, That's you're, nice, you, yeah. you, you connect deeply with the music yeah. and give people um, descriptions of whatever you're writing mm. about, whether it be a live performance or an album or an interview, whatever. But you also go off into your own kind of. But that's like this, right? Know, that's the same thing, or that's music, right? In a, in a way, that's the only way we can ever be, which is actually um, trying to be accessible to people and to communicate with people, but in being inherently sort of selfish as well, because mm-hmm. it has to be your own story, right? Yeah. It has to be your own interpretation, which is why. It's literally different for every single person, but I love to have a jumping off point. And I think these are great as jumping off points. And as I say, they do remind me of reading something and going, oh God, I have no idea what that band are, but I love them, right? Mm-hmm. I, there's something about them. There's something about that description. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is like a, a love of language, but I think it's also a love of ideas, suggestions. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about this was, so I saw it so, and I, I can't, I can smell a bit of coconut. It's not uh, yeah, overwhelming, I'm, I'm, right? I'm on the nose at the moment. I it's, haven't had a sip yet. It's not overwhelming. Uh, no, I'm not getting. I'm not actually getting coconut I'm on gonna, the nose I'm going to tell you a little magic trick. We'll see if it works for you. Okay. Have a sip. Okay? Yeah. Enjoy it. And yeah. then smell again. Okay. You smell wow. coconut. It's like alchemy, Vic. Hmm. Right? Isn't that strange? <laughs> That's exactly... Uh, I'm, I'm getting coconut on the palate now, yeah. whereas I wasn't getting it on the nose, and now the nose is coconutty. I know, I know, coconut-y. It's so weird, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's not, it's not Malibu, it's not Coco Canoe. It's right? definitely not Coco Canoe, but, but it's definitely in there. Um, and I actually, I really, really like that one for the this one for that because it's not, it's not overbearingly what, sweet. And what I'm doing with this is I'm sort of. Pl- playing with the the taste and the fragrance and the the fumes in yeah. a way on my palate yeah exactly now if the, if the last one was quite overwhelmingly rich and epic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is a lot more subtle the, and also i think there's a 
I think also there definitely is the. I, I love the sort of references to suntan lotion and um, yeah. toasted coconut and ice cream and that holiday idea. There is something of that in there. There's something indefinable which just is transporting and is really quite uplifting. I think so. There's a lightness in it as well because of that. And you've you've gone for musically to accompany this. You've gone for something light and effervescent in a way. Well, quite. It's both, right? Exactly. And you know what started me off on that? It was saying, it was mentioning the three C's. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, oh, there's only one C for me, and that's candy statin. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or candy statin, call it what you will. And I think that Young Hearts Run Free, which is my soul disco classic, song, right? Um, heard on dance floors across the known universe ever since it was released in 1976. Yeah, and our songwriter, the guy who wrote it for her, whose name I think was David Crawford, forgive me if I've misremembered that. Um, she'd had a horrendous time at the at that point in her life. She was in a, an abusive relationship. And that's why I'm saying, you know, there's always a darkness there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, uh, for it to even get to that colour, for it to get to that depth, you can delve in as much as you want, um, but you've got to come back up again. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd said to her, you know, you need to get out of here. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you a song it's going to last forever and he wrote Young Hearts Run Free and so at its root there's something so sort of profound and sincere and lovely about that and yet again to go back to another memory of drinking whiskey and it was Talisker because it was with Sean at the time we were on the Renfrew Ferry and we'd brought Candy Statton over to play our first of our shows in Scotland. This oh, was yeah. part of Triptych. Yeah, I remember. I saw her in the Bongo Club. Yeah, yeah. We on the same the, tour we in We put her in the Bongo yeah. Club, uh, the tunnels in Aberdeen. and I couldn't believe I was actually seeing her. And I wasn't that far away. I was nope. like, I could, I could she nearly like, reach didn't out come. and touch her. She nearly she... didn't come because she thought no one would come to our shows. She'd wow. never played in Scotland before. And she did all this promo for it and she did all the interviews from her bed. <laughs> so all the journalists were phoning up and she's, you know, she just totally played the game. And we brought her back at least once, if not twice again, and she mm-hmm. was stunning every time. But the Sunday night was when she played the Renfrew Ferry. And so again, and actually, truth be told, it was because we'd been out since whenever the Thursday or the Friday on triptych things. So by the Sunday, I was like, I don't think I can have any more beer. I don't know what I can. Whiskey. And um, my saving grace. And... Uh, she played Young Hearts Run Free and that boat and this it was April time so yeah. it was kind of twilight and it was absolutely glorious you know and you felt like you were anywhere but there and also completely and utterly where you were I, I actually saw some astonishing gigs in the uh, Renfrew Ferry and uh, it's a very strange it's, it's like a moored boat so yeah. you can if, the, if people are dancing you can <laughs> feel it rocking rocks. a little bit yeah, but, but totally. tri- going back to Triptych which yeah. was the festival that she played at that was it, it, now it was Edinburgh Glasgow and Aberdeen yeah, yeah. and so in a revolving cast of shows not everyone played every three mm-hmm. cities but by and large they did mm-hmm. and it was club nights and conversations yeah. and lots of live shows you know it was wonderful I, I was luckily uh, enough to be involved in it a few times yeah totally Ermin Schmidt from Cannes yeah yeah or, uh, we, we brought over Carl Heinz Stockhausen for the first I time went, to, I saw Stockhausen yeah. I, Herbie oh. Hancock yeah. Um, oh, yeah Dr Robert Moog Moog whatever you want to pronounce it came the over Moog. and did I uh, again lots of these people had never been to Scotland before Prince Buster his oh. wife absolutely she came in her slippers and she loved the Buckfast <laughs> absolutely loved it it was loved wonderful Buckfast, right? really yeah yeah, totally into the work class. 
So was um, Einster's End uh, now about and, and Nick Cade and the Bad Seeds Blix of Argyld. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And mind that you, was a, uh, that wasn't all, a triptych, but yeah. yeah from all reports, time. you know, he sounds like the sort of guy that might, might be into He's a He's an absolute legend. He'd wanted Rioja Reserva, but I was on Saki Hall Street. I dragged them up to do some TV thing and I couldn't find that. So I was like, yeah, but fast will do you, mate. <laughs> but yeah, Trixie's amazing. This is really delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just went with it because he's got a great sense of humour. People miss that a lot of the time, right? Mm. It's that funny thing. So yeah, but Candy Grace Jones came over for it. Oh. Um, all of these, I went to the vast Chuck majority. Chuck did loads go back to Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the vast majority of these people you mentioned, I saw them. Yeah. And they were in relatively small venues. I mean, there might be a thousand people there, but I mean. Yeah. You, you you don't think that in your lifetime you'll be able to see them in your hometown or your neighbouring oh, town or whatever yeah. uh, playing yeah. in front of a relatively small crowd brought, and, and nailing it as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. We brought Laurie Anderson over to do a few things, and I remember on the next morning um, being at Waverley Station and Laurie Anderson, you know, walking through Waverley Station with that beautiful sun-like face, looking at the board and just thinking, you know. How did how this you, happen? How are you even here? How are you even human? Yeah. Wonderful, you know? Yeah. But Candy Statton, certainly from that time, and literally, honestly, you know, I saw the letter C, and somewhere deep in my sort of psyche, I'm like, yeah, she's just an absolute joy. And that song, yeah, and like this, right? It is. It's it utterly is. escapist, and yet it's utterly where you are. Yeah. Right? There's something about that. Oh yeah, no, and Young Hearts Run Run Free is definitely an escapist tune, but it's also the tale of yeah, you know, every second going, person in society. Yeah, totally, you know. totally. This is actually where we are as well, yeah. though, right? The, it um, goes well with this because this yeah. is quite playful. This whiskey, I think that I think playful is exactly the right word. And actually, I do think I think that about a few of them. I think that a bit like uh, someone like Eisner's end and about and uh, not being understood enough for his lovely, lovely, charming humour. Uh, sometimes whiskey can just be seen as being abrasive or, right. you know, brash um, or all edges. And yeah. it's anything but. And also every single one of these has had a completely different... I'm adding a bit of water now just to you know, try and see... Variety of flavours and, and ideas. Like I say, I didn't actually... I'm not enough of an expert. I, I couldn't have gone like super, super deep in terms of thinking about this because I'm not technical enough. I'm not even technical enough a thinker to do that. But the I mean, ideas that came don't, were inspired they, by these drinks, you know? The Whiskey Society wouldn't have employed me if they wanted an absolute <laughs> expert on whiskey. I'm a fan. I'm Recognize learning more about every it. Part. But, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm a fan. I'm a music guy. And, mm. you're, and you're a music person as well. So it's like you know exactly what, what why we're here. But it's it's the combination of drinking these whiskeys, which are all quite different, yeah. with these different kinds of tunes as well, you know? so Yeah, exactly, because it's not just one thing. And it's not just one time or one place. Although... Um, quite often I will associate a certain whiskey with a certain place so um, I love Jura because that's somewhere that we quite often go on holiday or um, you know like if there's a if there's a particular place where you go again I think you can latch onto something you can your, your emotion can inform your affection towards it mm-hmm. now uh, just taking a little detour uh, for people enjoying the chat and listening to the, the playlist on Spotify and so on um, you mentioned that you worked at, at Mute, and mm-hmm. I know you've got loads of great stories about that. Mm-hmm. But you're now, now a, a, a journalist, which we've talked about yeah. a bit, and a broadcaster as well. Where can yeah, people totally. sort of find well, you? Well, that was sort of by accident. That was kind of thanks to you, because um, you'd asked me to, you and Mandy had asked me, your producer at the time, Mandy Freeman, to um, you know come and have a chat on your show, and which I did. And uh, then Mandy kind of said, oh, you know, do you want to come in and have another little chat? I met you at uh, Aidan Moffat. Remember that weird... 
unravel thing they had. Was that what it was? Yeah. Remember with, they had that, or what was the thing where you could you could have an interactive gig? That was a whiskey in, involved. Yeah, it, yeah, was. it was. I was yeah, about yeah, to yeah, say yeah. we were drinking whiskey that night. Yeah, Jewers. Right? Jewers whiskey. Jewers night, it was yeah. a single malt <laughs> and it was specifically um, tied up with... Um, they they were very pro supporting Scottish mm. um, bands and art projects. They did a load of great stuff. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a chat then, and you said, "Oh, Mandy was wondering maybe one time when I'm off, you could maybe uh, dip." So I, I actually tried it, and then said to Mandy, "No, I think that would be a terrible idea. Thank you anyway." And she went, "Ah, oh, we'll just see." And that was that was kind of the start of it. It was sort of an accident that was a very very lovely um, surprise. No, I never th- thought of myself. But on the thing the, is, Nicola, you you know your onions you know mm. your stuff inside out uh, whether it be music or pop culture yeah. art literature all sorts mm. of different things and you speak really clearly and confidently <laughs> and you've got like you know attitude and fun like just that's lovely. coming out of Thank you, you. so it's good. like it's just it's you know all, a door a door have more of that whiskey a door opens <laughs> and you have to go through it and yeah right so yeah. so but now you're yeah. you're established yeah yeah totally so that was that was kind of i guess that was my um that was my sort of um door in i'm picturing it almost like something in alice in wonderland you know like you don't know quite what's happening it's just like open this and I'm not sure whether i'm down a warren or up there or where you are or what size you are or what you're um in a lovely way mm-hmm. um but yeah so i eventually um through another series of lovely sort of happenstances, I suppose, I ended up doing afternoon stuff. So more more cultural stuff. So yeah, Friday afternoons, the afternoon show. Um, and it's everything. So it's arts, entertainment. It could be books. It could be comedy. It could be heavy metal. It could be Shakespeare. Right? Great. It's whatever's there and loads of I tunes. can't think and of anyone better right? to deal with Shakespeare <laughs> one, on one day and heavy metal on the next or oh, both in the same you. show. Yeah, quite, exactly. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much. But yeah, so it's great fun. Um, but it's weird as well because I think when something sort of happens that I wouldn't have dared dream of when I was back listening to Belly and hiding mm-hmm. the flavour of whiskey and desperately wanting to be a music journalist. Like That's all I ever wanted to be. I, I was very clear on that. From, mm. for a very very long time there was no doubt that would never have occurred to me the radio oh my god no you know that was like way beyond it didn't occur to me either yeah. it was not something I sort of fell into it as well and uh, but now I sort of see how it makes perfect sense I <laughs> love music I'm yeah. nerdy about it and hopefully can speak fairly clearly oh totally and, and, and just kind of like obsess about the details but hopefully mm can relay of course, that's my enthusiasm point, right? to other people. Yeah, that's yeah. why, you know, people listen to you and they're like, right, okay, I now want to, I now want to go and find out about that band. Yeah. Because, and that goes Hopefully. back to, I think, us reading all those, like literally, what, down to reading the classifieds. Look, if okay? there's anyone listening or watching this that knew me <laughs> as a teenager or, or even previous, yeah. you know, as a, basically from about the age of about eight, nine, ten years old onwards, it was just, I, I, poured over it and yeah, I, I, I sort of still do to be honest yeah, yeah. in well, a slightly different way now as no, a, I'm a still, man in I, his late 40s I honestly think that's why I got such a like a funny little kick out of this because I think the other thing is at that point that was quite an alien world to me or not alien but because um, I felt like oh I definitely wanted to be a part of it the, the, whatever that was that was going on in the Melody Maker and NME and what was going on in music um, but also it's that idea that you, you want to know more about it Mm-hmm. And I definitely have that. Um, I don't necessarily know. It's, well, it'll do me. You know, we're here talking about music, but we're also <laughs> talking about whiskey. And if I've spent a lifetime nerding out about music, I, I've certainly spent 
a good few years, maybe mm. even decades, nerding about whiskey, and I'm yeah, re- I'm right. really getting into it now. And um, I use it as my sort of. I, I've just realised, you know, during this conversation, that I've kind of used it, you know, to in some ways, maybe insinuate, bolster my credibility a bit at times <laughs> when right so like giving myself a bit of class at that first golf rap concert or you know oh that Sunday night at the candy stand thing oh yeah you know I think I just need to make them mo- it's almost like ceremonialising things a little bit more right mm-hmm. this is a moment I'll get a whiskey mm-hmm. right so I've been doing that sort of inadvertently it means something to me that I didn't really quite realise or articulate yeah. maybe until this chat and it's funny yeah you know I've just, well, I added some water to, to yeah. this guy, um, the cocoa nut, the juicy oak and vanilla. And it's it's brought, I I think it's brought out the kind of sweetness. It's taken some of the slightly slightly harder edges off it, which water normally does. But it's brought out the sweetness and the coconut. Yeah, yeah, right. The coconut makes itself mm. more present somehow. It, it insinuates its way in. Mm. Isn't that great? And by the end, you're like, how could I not taste that coconut? I know. That's or exactly smell it. what I'm it's, thinking it's right now. It's blindingly, it's like... Well, I'm, I'm dancing to some disco, soul disco, yep. courtesy of We're uh, at the Renfrew Ferry. We've got our coconut. Candy statin is there. It's brilliant. And I really urge anyone who's watching or listening to go and search out the playlist on Spotify. Uh, Whiskey Talk, Malts and Music, all the guests who've been uh, on the podcast... They choose five tracks which go with the five whiskies. We've got them all in a playlist. The playlist is building as the series goes on. So we're on to the final dram. <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing, Vic, at the fact that we thought we were like, right, we'll just try and take it to an hour and that'll be fine. I don't know what the time is now. Okay, I think it's I well over an hour. I would imagine we're, we're, like, we're into... So we might have to, like we might have to say goodbye during this dram just for the sake of our dear listeners well, and, do you know and viewers. What? Do you know what? That's kind of apt. Yes. Okay, so this one is... Fruit Alloy, mm-hmm. which is a very strange title for mm-hmm. any food or drink. I'm quite fascinated in the difference even between, okay, you, you smell it a little bit in the bottle, it's it's there, and then you give it the courtesy of a, which I've not always done in the past, it has to be said, the courtesy <laughs> of a glass. So this is a sweet, fruity and mellow flavour mm. profile. It's a Highland whisky. it's a second fill ex-bourbon barrel. It's aged 19 years, uh, which is quite something. And it's 57%, which is strong enough, especially at this stage in the game, Nicola. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure people watching you are going, they've just polished off four whiskeys in about five minutes. 70%, not quite. No, no, no. Uh, So, uh, a few of the tasting notes. Um, The panel agreed, a sublime nose, a superb collision of cough medicines and freshly muddled garden herbs. We found all manner of things like wintergreen, fennel, mango salsa, papaya, apricot or apricot, green banana, tinned pineapple, and the leftovers of a big mushy fruit salad. Again, the <laughs> notes go on, but they, they that, right here. I'm going in for the nose. Honestly, you absolutely must. It's fruity. There is something. There is something. It's funny how something that's made of ultimately grain and water can yeah. actually smell fruity. I've not gone to whiskey tastings, okay? That's not a thing I've done. Like, John has... Has my dad? No, because my dad's just very much a 
a lovely open, this is my favourite now. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like John, my uncle John, my husband John, my cousin Duncan, who I mentioned. It's interesting that I'm mentioning the the men, but I don't necessarily think this is a male pursuit at all. But I do think in a family tradition and quite like a a traditional working class family, the men would maybe have the drink at a a point. I think the world is changing. Yeah, exactly. And having having uh, yourself here and and, and Stina Tweedale from Honeyblood. Yeah, yeah. so I'm I'm telling a family story, but I don't think that in any way kind of reflects where we are now. However, um, they'll come back and so they can then... I suppose what we are doing here is like the loveliest version for me of that thing, right? So um, I'm learning to appreciate the different layers, depths, details of the flavour, but also it's done in such a way where I'm not feeling, because I'm not that good at being told what to do. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've never been that So, you know, you can, right, have that one next, right, this is what you should taste in this one, have that, that's not really, it's, I'm not, and I'm not particularly into like organised fun, and so like a whiskey tasting to me is maybe a wee bit too regimented for my personal, yeah. you know, ways. What I'm getting from this, I think, is what people maybe get from that sort of thing, in that you appreciate the difference every time, mm-hmm. but you, you taste. Like, how are those drinks the same? I, well, th- it's astonishing. Right? This is this is what's blowing my mind increasingly. About and I'm being, a I'm a luddite, I would say. In this well, but being involved with right? the, the the whiskey society, I'm finding myself tasting the same drink, and it's mm. and it tasting completely different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're not talking like a bad quality whiskey and a good quality whiskey. You're talking all about all of these high quality whiskeys, and they all taste completely different. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's the same with high quality sherry or wine or you know anything that you yeah. you, you know cheese. Mm. You, you'll, you'll find those nuances and so on. But these are quite spectacular. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm having a sip of this. I can't wait any longer. So this is the fruit alloy, sweet, fruity, and mellow. Really fruity on the nose. Let's go in. While you're having a wee taste, I'm going to um, pinpoint some of the flavour notes that I particularly loved from this one. And they are this. <laughs> Vapour rubs, copper kettles, and steel wool and engine oils. Mm. Right, so this actually takes me right back to the start. This takes me back to my earliest memories of whiskey and what it represented and what it was. And that's family gatherings, old-fashioned, properly Scottish get-togethers at New Year, right? That was the time. That was maybe the only time when some of the family would drink. And it was like working hands. It was people coming in. It was my granddad coming in and um, washing his builder's hands with uh, fairy liquid and sugar, right? To strip to his vest. To get some in grit the, in there. Right, in, the, in, yeah. the, in, the, in the kitchen sink, you know, um, in their council house to kind of like properly clean themselves. And so all of those things, the steel wool... And the vapour rub, I was always like, I just was like, I had like whooping cough as a kid. And so I was constantly like wheezing and all the rest of it. So it was like, slap that, (laughs) slap that Vicks vapour rub on you. My mum swears by it as a cure for everything now, by the way. Um, It transpires it's not very good for sunburn under your eyes, as my wee boy and wee girl discovered in Spain recently. Blindingly painful. However, so the vapour rub, (laughs) so you have these wonderful sort of like family cures and family traditions and everything going into... This drink. So this, to me, is the most traditional one. Well, as someone who's just had a, a big, you know, sip of it, yeah, having had the fruitiness on the nose, and there is some fruitiness in the taste. I'm also getting that slight metallic taste. I didn't. I yeah. I hadn't read beyond the tasting notes yeah. beyond that bit that I read out. And then you say um, copper kettle, steel wool, pine resin, engine oils, vapor rubs. Yeah, I'm getting a bit of that now. 
Now, I don't like. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes the uh, tasting notes are, like go off on tangents, and I'm like, I'm not getting that. Uh-huh. But on this one, I get on yep. one hand the fruitiness, yep. and on this. The other hand, the kind of slightly, yeah, metallic. It is. There's a there. There is. There's like some sort of a base note to it, but weirdly, it's not harsh. Mm. No. Right. Why is that? There's something almost comforting about that. I think for me, it's because I have these weird associations with you know, like I don't know. Oh, I don't know I what mean, that thing so, is. You know, some people will have that. You mentioned bongella or anything yeah. medicinal. Yeah. Some people will have that kind of ah, straight away. But yeah. sometimes, like I, I, I mean. I, I don't drink cough syrup. I'm not one of those people. But I when, have done, and this but, is a lot nicer. But when, <laughs> but, but I there's something comforting about yeah. uh, uh, you know a, a sort of you know a cough syrup or a, a, a lem sip or something something yeah. that's medicinal. Sometimes not only does does it sort of give you that feeling like I'm going to be better mm-hmm. soon or yeah. this is going to help me out, yeah. but you actually over the years you get used to those things. So I think sometimes those even m- if it's horrible, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that, Cavonia. Some yeah. people go. Oh, I'm a big horrible. fan of Cavonia. Yeah, although you know, I did go through that phase around about the time I was disguising the whiskey, where you know you heard it was good, but by then they'd taken out anything that was even remotely you know alcoholic or yeah. you know soporific about it. So you'd be like, we'd be just drinking these bottles of Benelin or whatever and just feeling violently ill and nothing else like literally nothing uh, ladies and gentlemen I want right? to I want to ensure that you know that this does not taste like Benelin or Cavonia or a cough syrup it could be further from it it's, it's lovely but, but but it has that slightly metallic medicinal thing that, that's combined with that fruity light you know yeah right fun so to me sign. to me this is um, this is family new year parties right wow so you've gone for oh I, I looked at my notes there, but I should have known. <laughs> of course I knew. You did. You Barbara did. Dixon. January, February. You are like you are. <laughs> the, I, I wouldn't say the world's greatest, but you're definitely flying the flag for Barbara Dixon yeah, ever I, since I've, I've met you. Yeah, I totally and utterly. I love her. That was Barbara. That was Barbara. That was the ghost of Barbara. No, uh, no, so. Yeah, I totally, I totally love her, and 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 part of it is rooted in my childhood. It's literally of those early, those early memories of you know very sort of like traditional family New Years. My mum was the youngest of a big family. Uncle John being the eldest. We've touched on him already, um, and so there was like the best part of twenty years between them. And so my grandparents were quite a bit older. They were almost like a generation beyond. And so the the. the the New Year's I had were probably the same New Year's that people who were born a couple of decades early, maybe in the 50s or the 60s, 40s even, which was my mum, would recognise. And so a lot of it was the Corries. The Corries were my... Who you also adore. I, yes, I do. And you and, know them and, and as Ronnie well. Brown is an absolutely lovely man. And I have shared many... A dram. Not just a dram, a whiskey and tonic. Oh, wow. With Ronnie Brown. That's his we drink. A whiskey wow. and tonic, right? We okay. bought an exotic... Insight there, yeah. Yes, I, yeah, I don't think yeah. I've ever had one of those. Yeah, a whiskey and tonic, and so uh, we had those. But Barbara, to me, represents the sort of traditional family thing, and also just that idea of. I just was blown away. She was from Scotland. I mean, it's blatantly obvious, but I just thought because she was a huge pop star at the time. Well, we're talking about um, you know I know him so well with Elaine Page, massive. I mean, that was globally massive as well. Utterly. Uh, Beyond, but she was, she was she was a huge pop star, um, albeit for a certain market. You're not going to yeah. get your young punks listening to Barbara Dixon, but she came from the 
the, the 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 kind of folk revival scene of the, of the sixties, abs- right? Absolutely. I mean, she was she was utterly she was there with Jerry Rafferty, Rab Noakes, Billy Connolly. You know, she was absolutely in about that in Glasgow and, and in Edinburgh. Yeah. And and you know, um, all of the you know Judy Collins and yeah. you know all of, all of the you know you know her voice is utterly beautiful. Pentangle so, yeah, and so on and so on. All of those people, you know, she worked so closely with um, with so many of the folk names that we love. And then in the sort of early to mid seventies, became sort of like if you like um, encouraged a bit to go down the pop route, which was great for her. And and so it musical was theater. right, yeah. But even then, it was political musical theater. It was Willie mm. Russell's Blood Brothers, and he yeah. wrote the part of Mrs. Johnson for her. So this is not just a not that I've got any issue with you know it just being a musical. But this was something that had a real political point and she was in for it. And her voice is just lovely. And it was actually the songs in the kind of late 70s and in the early 80s I loved. But January, February for me, for starters, what a song. Written by Alan Tarney, who among other things resurrected AHA's Take On Me. AHA would not have existed without them. This song would have been a flop. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me more about this. AHA uh, had released Take On Me in various incarnations once or twice at least... And it and Alan really... Tarney, who had been responsible for a lot of what I would say were Cliff Richard's greatest hits, um, you may argue that there are none of those to speak of. I would say that Wired for Sound. Can um... I just? I'd just like to take this point to apologise to the punks out there. <laughs> Sorry, all you punks. Um, I'd and... like to take this opportunity to apologise to my own husband, who was, as you well know, a um, punk rocker. A yeah, yeah. Scott Bride punk, Sinister Turkeys. Died uh, yourself, Dizzy EP, played by John Peel in the 1970s or 80. <laughs> and here we are talking about um, Alan Tarney and Cliff Richard. Yeah. Yes, anyway. Alan yes, Tarney, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Is he amazing. like the Jim Steinman uh, uh, in, yeah, in a way? Yeah, sort of like um, of glossy late 70s, early 80s pop. Yeah. yeah uh-huh, right. Take On Me was not working. Tarney's like that. Give it to me. I mean, like literally like me now. Give it to me, boys. And he turned that into a hit. Love wow. it or hate it. Alan Tarney's the man. It's a, it's, it's a pretty outstanding song, Take Annie On Me. January, yeah. February. I mean, right. For that alone. Mm. And so well, this is my here, sort of... Yeah, this here's is Here's to my, Barbara Dixon. Yeah, and here's to you. And, and here's, here's to you. To, and here's to all of the tracks that we've discussed and all the whiskies that we've drunk. Thank you, Nicola Meehan, for being part of Whiskey Talk, for being part of Malts and Music. Um, it's, it, it's been whiskey talking. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I love that we're pretending that we're going to say goodbye and not finish the rest. Of when the these cameras just now, and microphones go off, <laughs> we will be walking in different directions. Not, no. but um, but yeah, um, I urge anyone to go to the Spotify playlist because all of our, of my guests on this Maltz and Music podcast have chosen different kinds of songs. It's going to make a really eclectic, interesting yeah. listen, just as a playlist alone. I've loved listening to the others as well. Exactly, yeah. and you've if got, you. If you want to pair them with whiskies, I, I drink responsibly. Don't have twenty or twenty-five drams, but uh, try try and take one whiskey with one track and enjoy it. And Nicola, a pleasure. Cheers, Slange, Slange. Galloway. Cheers. I know you so well. Thanks <laughs> for so checking out Malts and Music. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, we are building a playlist of all the tracks discussed. You can find that on Spotify. And for all your whiskey needs, unfiltered, whiskey talk, and so much more, head along to the website smws.com. I'm Vic Galloway. This is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and I'll speak to you in a month's time. Uh-huh.